0: From Chicago, welcome to 3Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast for the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. You know, so coming
1: from a tooling background, you know, it always started with a 2D print and, you know, we would basically sit down and we would lay out, you know, Lay that out, you know, and then build basically, you know, from a 2D print. Um, you know, then when I started managing our CNC department, we started getting into 3D rendering, surface modeling. And you know, we really thought that was, you know, in the early to mid 90s, that was really, you know, intense technology. But you know, now to be able to take a solid model and then basically within de- you know, within a day, we can basically take that solid model, you know, we can we can pull the the inverse of that all in CAD and basically skip all of those
0: steps. That was Brandon Lamancha. Brandon is the Head of Additive Manufacturing at Humptown Products in Columbiana, Ohio. Humptown is a multi-generational family-owned business that started as a pattern shop in 1959. They have a history of making patterns from CNC, as well as sand cores and molds for the foundry industry. Over the past several years, Humptown has adopted and grown their additive manufacturing capabilities and extended those capabilities into the metal casting supply chain. Brandon joins the show today to talk about the history of the company, and we dive into the fascinating journey of this small company taking a leap into 3D printing. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Stitcher, or YouTube. All right, Brandon, thank you for joining the show today. Um, Let's get started, as we do with all of our guests, with just a little bit of background. when. Did you get into the added manufacturing space and can you tell us a little bit about Hometown?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Good to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Um, Brandon Lamancha. you know, we're, I've been with Hometown Products. I was basically born into the company. So, you know, my grandfather started in 59 as a pattern shop making tooling. And, you know, recently um, in the last like five to seven years was when we really started approaching additive. You know, we didn't know where we wanted to get in. Um, we thought pattern making and making tooling would be... You know, Are good fit for us, but we quickly learned that um, you know using binder jetting and 3D sand printing was actually going to be our home. So you know, just like many people, you kind of you jump in thinking you know it all, and then we we were quickly uh, corrected and, and found our, our space.
0: And where was that first time that you saw a machine or kind of the company engaged in and seeing the technology? Was it at the trade show? Was it online, another company that you had been talking to?
1: Yeah, actually the first time we had really heard a lot about it was at a rapid uh, they had a rapid convention in Pittsburgh. Uh, I forget the exact year, but we ended up going down there just kind of open, you know, to the pattern making and the FDM market. My brother, you know, he was our uh, mechanical engineer, just graduated Youngstown State University, had a maker bot. We were just you know making little pieces and loose pieces and you know fit-ups and mock-ups representations. And then while we were there, there was a casting track, and we heard you know, a pattern maker give a talk about using X1. They didn't even have a printer yet; they were just, you know, um, using the print service centers. And after seeing that presentation, my brother and I we just looked at each other and said, "That's that's where we need to be. That's you know, that's really um, you know, we thought about it for prototyping and for um, you know, product introduction and like part validation." But man, is it in the last five years, has it really changed from that?
0: And from your perspective as in the pattern making kind of tooling business, kind of what typically what would happen if you weren't using 3d printing or, and can you just talk about kind of the, the differences between two, like traditionally, what, what are you doing? Kind of what was kind of the core business and then why, why is 3d printing uh, something that opened your eyes to a new or different opportunity?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, so coming from a tooling background, you know, it always started with a 2D print and, you know, we would basically sit down and we would lay out, you know, lay that out, you know, and then build basically, you know, from a 2D print. You know, then when I started managing our CNC department, we started getting into 3D rendering, surface modeling. And, you know, we really thought that was, you know, in the early to mid nineties, that was really, you know, intense technology, but, you know, now to be able to take a solid model and then basically within da- you know within a day we can basically take that solid model you know we can we can pull the the inverse of that all in cad and basically skip all of those steps you know of having you know going from 2D to 3D you know from and then having to glue up stock and then putting that on an nc machine and then whittling that away to make a tool and then you still have to make a mold or you have to take that to a core blower and then blow a core off of a core box. So, I mean, we're skipping, you know, weeks, sometimes months. Um, you know, so for us, this was, that's why it was so revolutionary, especially, you know, an intricate, you know, pumps and impellers and valve bodies, you know, we're taking months of work sometimes and consolidating into literally days. So that, that was the big aha moment for us was saying 3d printing is really going to revolutionize this industry.
0: And were there particular industries within that, automotive, aerospace, heavy industry, that were more targets early on or more open to, to that sort, sort of innovation?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, Ford was one of the first really early adopters of the 3d sand printing. Um, I think they were using it for, you know, for product development and really pushing out, you know, you know, that tooling build, because I mean, you're talking, like I said, 16, 18 weeks to, to produce tooling. So, and then if it's wrong, you know, you have this iterative process, of, you know, cut it, try it, doesn't work back to the pattern shop. I mean, now, you know, you can, you can design three or four designs, print them, and do it concurrently. So you're basically able to cast four or five parts, machine them and see which one works, you know, without ever cutting a tool. So automotive was really receptive early on. Um, I would say the second industry would be, you know, any type of pump or, you know, impeller where you had this really complex, you know, design that was always very hard um, to make, but then the tooling to get that shape was very intricate. And, you know, if you didn't build those molds up just right, the pump would be out of balance. So the pump industry was actually probably the second um, real big adopter of the technology, especially when you have a pump system that's maybe 30, 40, 50 years old. There was no tooling or it was lost and they needed a replacement. They would scan it, print it, and you know have a really good you know, replacement part quickly.
0: Yeah. And I always like to hear kind of what the story it was of kind of when you get your first hands-on experience and with the machine kind of in companies, like what can you talk about a a little bit about that period when you started, you you saw it at rapid, you kind of saw some presentations and then kind of what are the next steps in terms of convincing other people or training up other people talking to the machine vendors? Can you talk a little bit about that period of how do you get over that hump into actually making, making stuff beyond like, Hey, this is a good idea. Like we should be doing it.
1: Right. Yeah. It was not, you know, an, early. it was not an easy process. You know, these machines are you know over a million dollars and in our industry, you know, I mean a good core blower or a good, you know, molding line, you know I mean, is like a 10th of that, you know what I mean? So when you're trying to persuade, you know, whether it's management, at, you know, at your company, or, you know, you know, in my case, you know, my father, the owner of the company to say, Hey, we need to drop a million dollars on this printer. And when we do, the business is going to come. Yeah. That's like field of dreams stuff. Like you, you don't run a business that way. So, you know, we went after it very, you know, collaboratively, you know, we were blessed to have America makes in our backyard. You know what I mean? So we could just go up and be like, Hey, what are you guys doing? are like, we're trying to get people to use 3d printing. We're like, Hey, we're trying to get them to use 3d printing too. And then we kind of just kind of formulated this plan and they connected us with, you know, Jerry Thiel out at the university of Northern Iowa, and basically they're like, Hey, we're going to do this project. You're going to go meet Jerry and you're going to be able to use this printer. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? I've never had a million dollars, let alone, you know, be able to play on somebody. I'd be like somebody saying, Oh, here's my Lamborghini. You know what I mean? I wouldn't even be able to drive somebody's Lambo, let alone go play on a million dollar car, like a Bugatti or whatever. So hop in the truck, drive 10 hours out to university of Northern Iowa, never met this guy in my life. And he came in and he said, Hey, there's a the printer. Let's go. He said, I have the printer, but I have no work for it. I have nobody in the industry. You know, I don't have, I mean, I'm a university. I'm not a sales, you know, or organization. So it was really cool because, you know, I just started basically just jump right in. Like here's the printer. And it was not at all what I expected. And I think that's, you know, one thing, you know, an FDM, like it made sense to me, like, okay, you got this spool of stuff it eats it up and it shoots it through. But when I was getting into binder jetting, know it was really interesting like you know this concept of lay this complete layer you know cure it with the binder only in the selected spots but then you got to go back in and you know clean out all those spaces and nooks and crannies so the first couple of designs we had people that would design an entire mold without a parting line like well you can print it right i'm like yeah you can print it but you can't get in there and get the you know the fugitive sand or you know you have to literally be able to go in there and clean that out so it was quite the learning experience and you know, there was countless stories like that where, you know, we would print something and you know, thinking, oh, it can be printed because of this technology, but it still isn't manufacturable. You still can't take it to the foundry and just pour it as is.
0: And as you kind of step through that process and learning kind of the design for the specific process, how much education did you have to do on the customer side to convince people to try this? Or was that not kind of an afterthought before, like, just kind of get some parts out there regardless of whether you print them or they could be kind of traditionally made kind of how, how did that process evolve?
1: Yeah, it was, that was the biggest learning curve, you know, is, you know, when do you use the technology? How do you sell it? Like, you know, it's not, you know, it, it, it's not the end all be all, you know, it's a tool. And you know, we had customers coming to us and having these really, crazy designs and, you know, I mean, and they really wanted it, but then you cost it out and they're like, well, that's crazy. I can't even sell the casting for that much money. So how are you going to expect me? So like, I mean, it was a very, very steep learning curve because, you know, you're out there kind of learning on the fly because, you know, we printed stuff and we had it and we poured a few like turbo housings and you know, simple designs, but you know, you're trying to sell something that you don't really even understand yourself. So you had to really partner um, and we were very fortunate. We had some big OEMs that really wanted to be in this space. And, you know, we would, we would go to these small foundries and they'd be like, you know, I just don't see it. I don't get it. You know, I don't think it was because they were afraid of the technology. I think it was just because, you know, we couldn't even lead them to the path of when and where to use it. So luckily we had a lot of OEMs. So there was a lot of OEM, you know, demand, a lot of pool. And then what that did was we were able to collaborate from the OEM side and then go out and they would fund projects basically saying, hey, let's just try this. And I'm like, well, you should really use tooling. They're like, we understand that this may not be the, the case, but we have a budget to understand additive manufacturing and we just want to try it in additive manufacturing. And then you would find ways through that process, you know, whether there was a hybrid technique or whether full 3D printing or tooling was the route. But it was really the OEMs that, you know, basically had that budget because they were trying to just get into additive manufacturing at whatever cost.
0: And I'm sure as you're going through that process, you're in this kind of nebulous state where you're kind of creating the business model as you go. You're not really a service bureau yet where you've got this kind of, okay, put in your CAD and you get an estimate back right away. It's more of a nuanced kind of per project. How do we partner? How do we kind of gain yep. some learning, but also make <laughs> justified, like the use of the technology and kind of yeah. pull all this and together. Was
1: thing. Jerry, you know, he, he, he was very, you know, forward thinking in the technology and we were trying to come up with ways that would you know, basically enable the supply chain and enable the foundries to, to embrace this technology. But, it, you know, you make one miscalculation and, you know, even though he's not, for, you know, as a university it was a not-for-profit center, he still had to be sustainable, so you know he, you know, was trying to make something a little bit more palatable for foundries to be able to. But it, then it almost, you know, he almost ran out of funding because you know you make one miscalculation, you know, in these early stages, and you know it can wipe you off the map. So yeah, we were really glad, you know, we were all able to work together and do it collaboratively as opposed to us just going out and trying to do it on our own. Because I can easily see why if you jump too quick and jump into something you can get over your head really, really quickly.
0: And is it similar to, I'm guess talking about binder jettings and kind of the, some of these early projects and even in now that you're working on kind of similar to other types of added manufacturing processes where you're generally not going to be saving money in terms of, printing the part, like apples to apples, either the material is more expensive or just machine time is more expensive. So you have to articulate kind of other value that could come in, whether it's speed or whether it's geometry or performance. Is it kind of similar in your case where you are selling on slightly different metrics than people are used to understanding or or communicating on?
1: Yeah, at first, um, you know, that's exactly what we had to do because, you know, when it first came out, I mean, the sand cost alone was like, in some cases, like 20x what a foundry was used to paying for sand Mm -hmm. because it was screened and it was special, right? Same with the binder, same with all of the consumables. They all had this, you know, arbitrarily high, you know, cost. And I think um, what we did was we helped, you know, with, you know, University of Northern Iowa and some of our partners, we helped to find regional um, consumables that would be at a, at a much better price point, um, so yes, we had to try to sell. You know, look at the complexity. You know, look, we're able to take and consolidate five pieces into one. You know, what's that going to save you? You know, on the assembly line, and what's that going to save you? You know, from a quality standpoint. You know, what's the qu- What's the? What's the cost? You know, what's the savings? You know, for a zero defect product, if you can get there. You know, so we were really trying to articulate. You know, we can take and we can make you a better quality product. We can drive out a lot of labor costs. But now we're actually getting to the point, you know, that we're almost, you know, fully commercialized that we can almost sell, you know, anytime we have, you know, a very highly complex small part, you know, about the size that will fit in your hand, we can actually actually beat out conventional core making and assembly processes. So, you know, we've done a really good job of driving down those consumable prices to a market that, you know, it can be sold, you know, basically in production
0: and how has the adoption of the binder jetting influenced other processes in your kind of traditional business was there a difference in how you take in kind of data from the customer whether it's cad files or 2d drawings has that in as the need to go more digital with some of the additive tools influenced how you're doing any of the traditional processes that you've had
1: yeah so we used to dr- quote everything you know, off of it used to be pictures and the 2D drawing. And I would say now like 99% of everything that we quote, whether it's conventional or 3D, we're getting files. So, you know, 3D printing has helped really. And I mean, I think the, all the industries have really done a good job of adopting CAD softwares, but I think that has been paramount that we've started receiving digital, you know, you know data packages, you know, f- of the casting or the core box and of the tooling. So, that's been very helpful. Um, we also—I um, don't know where else I was going to go with that, but I, I mean, I really feel that you know, three D printing and you know this technology push has helped across the broad spectrum. So now we can bring it in, we can review it, and then we can help the customer decide. You know, if you need something quick while you're in the tooling build, we can do prototype. Then we can do bridge production, and then we can do dual path. So you know, if you go into full production and the tooling can only produce so much. We can come in behind it with 3D printing and kind of you know give you the ability to produce more. Um, but having that fully digital, three dimensional CAD model has has been helpful a lot across the whole spectrum of of our business.
0: And has that forced you to kind of change any hiring practices or training processes when you're you're looking for people or kind of building out the team to to support the more digital kind of. CAD heavy or design for AM heavy? Um, yeah. Um,
1: you know, I mean, a lot of our pattern makers, you know, we were kind of in a phase where most of them had been retired. Um, we didn't get any of them to switch over at our company to, to being fully CAD, but we have customers that, you know, I've been dealing with since I was, you know, right out of high school. And, you know, I mean, so 20 years ago, when I was just out of high school, we would work, you know, on, on, on designs and drawings and now I'm going into those same foundries and that same designer is there. And now he's sitting at the computer, he's giving me CAD renderings. And, you know, so there have been, there has been that transition. Um, and, but yes, a lot of the, the new designers that are coming out of, you know, of the uh, universities, you know, that have, you know, a lot of CAD training and ability, they they're working side by side. So like at our company, they were working side by side with our pattern makers, So that because they couldn't really be um, useful in our industry right out of school, they needed that side by side. So they would run the computer, but we would have a a pattern maker giving them, you know, they were feeding into them. So it was kind of cool to watch. Um, And that's kind of how my brother, who is is a really gifted um, CAD designer, you know, he was working alongside of um, a pattern maker to get that tribal knowledge, will you? So that was kind of cool to see. But now... Um, we're seeing less and less of that because a lot of them have been retired, but I, I would say right now we, I'm seeing some of the best designs and some of the best CAD modeling um, coming out of our customers and coming out of, you know, OEMs that, you know, that I've ever seen. So that's, it's promising.
0: That's great. And I always like to ask our, our guests kind of what, what's a typical day like look like f- for you and kind of at the facility just to give people kind of an insight. Kind of yeah. look of uh, of what's going on and and what they might expect inside of a place that's using additive manufacturing.
1: Yeah, so I would say for me, um, it was kind of funny. I was at lunch today with with a colleague that I had worked at when he was at GE's uh, Center for Technology Advancement there in Pittsburgh. He's since moved on, and you know we were kind of laughing because you know, this pandemic, everybody's been working from home, and he's like, you know, you've been working from home before. It was cool, and I was like, yeah. So about four years ago, because of this technology, you know that's been, you know, been given to us to be able to use, I was actually able to, to move and work remote. Um, you know, I do a lot of traveling. Obviously, I'm in sales and business development and, you know, I'm out looking at technology. So, I travel a lot and when I'm not traveling, I can work from a home office because everything is done, you know, digitally now. Whereas if I had, you know, in the, in the days of CNC, you know, I had to be you know, in there designing, you know, working side by side with the machinist, you know, looking at the product, now with this digital world, um, you can almost work from anywhere, and a lot of my customers don't even know that I live in Southwest Florida, other than my tan. So, you know, it's really it's really helpful, um, you know, for me because it allows me to move about the country or move around the world, and I can quote things. You know, I work basically from my laptop. I'm getting files in daily. You know, I'm doing the quotes. I'm reviewing them. You know, I get purchase orders. I you know I process those. You know, I, I, sent, I upload those files that are ready to print to a database, our team pulls them down. You know, they, and I started out, I was doing a lot of the build boxes you know, before we grew to this level. Um, so, so my job is beautiful because I can do it remote. I've always been able to work pretty much anywhere I get good Wi-Fi and VPN. Now um, you take a step back and come into our facility, and you know, we've about 100,000 square foot now. You know, we have two facilities. We have our conventional facility, which is where we started. Um, And at about seven miles down the road, we have about a hundred thousand square foot of dedicated additive manufacturing space. We have offices, we have, but it's mainly production space. And if you walk in there, you're going to see five of X1's largest, you know, S-Max 3D sand printers working. Um, One is a customer's. Um, They placed it there because they didn't want to necessarily have to go through all the learnings. And they said, you know, let's place this here, have dedicated capacity and, you know, your expertise And then the other four, you know, we basically run, you know, for hometown and we're producing parts day in and day out. Um, We have about 12 people that work in that facility. Um, You know, they're, they're basically feeding those machines with consumables, you know, harvesting parts, cleaning parts, packing them out. Um, We have two docks there. So what I would say is different about our facility is every, every week since October, we've shipped a 53 foot air ride trailer of product to Mexico. Um, you're going to see tonnage. We printed 800,000 pounds of sand in December, so we're going through a lot of material. And that's what I think people don't realize is that. And we have production jobs that are up to 20,000 EAU. So some of these very small uh, hydraulic manifolds or valve bodies, we're printing you know in production for customers. So um, and that that is what is a little bit different about our facility is you're going to see. You know a lot of product going through there.
0: And did you find kind of with the pandemic kind of any disruptions either to kind of your supply chain or customers that you'd seen be disrupted kind of come to you with um, new project projects or kind of the need to evaluate different manufacturing options?
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, we we did not have any real major disruptions, other than like you know, ours would be more like weather related. You know, so like when there's blizzards and so we couldn't get you know sand and raw material resins in. Um, but as far you know, everything that we source is really domestic. Um, some of our clients came to us, and you know, with them buying tooling out of China, and there was entire providences shut down. They weren't able to get tooling, you know, to to continue to develop. So we actually, this was an opportunity for us because we went into full alpha and beta um, testing and trialing, you know, of products of castings for our clients. So that was actually a really good opportunity for us. And for them, they typically would have designed froze, I believe in March, we gave them complete design flexibility all the way until October until we started printing. And then they've had a few iterations, even mid process. So I think it's opened their eyes. I wouldn't be surprised if every development project for that customer goes at least into alpha with 3D printed molds and cores, because, you know, it just gave them so much flexibility. It enabled them to let their design engineers continue to work on the product so that they have the best possible product to enter into the market. Um, You know, and at the end of the day, that tooling that they would have bought versus the cost of all the printed molds and cores that we sent was about the same. So that tooling after they use it for prototyping, they throw it away. So I really feel that this is gonna this disruption and this pandemic is going to open up opportunities for us that are going to be you know going on much longer than this pandemic will ever last.
0: And on that front, I mean, it, you've kind of had this evolution into using the technology starting at university. And now you've got a number of machines at, at your site, kind of what's always on your radar to continue to improve the processes of kind of scaling it for more machines, bigger machines, different materials, you have you, talked about kind of optimizing some of the, the material costs, but are there things you're looking at kind of on a continual basis to kind of improve the process overall?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we need to continue to push the machine manufacturers to, to get a machine. Um, we need to drive the cost down. You know, and as the cost goes down of these machines, we're going to be able to open up opportunity. Um, I think I was researching, I think the metal casting industry in North America loans $44 billion a year. So, you know, I mean, if we, I mean, we're just scratching the surface. Um, so the opportunity is out there. I feel, you know, I mean, we really need to optimize the, the equipment, you know, if we can make them faster and at a lower cost, I really feel that we're going to be able to, to really penetrate that market. Um, this is the way, you know, molds, You know, it's, it's going to be a hybrid, you know, I mean, it's not going to be all additive or, you know, it's going to be a hybrid process. They're going to still continue to use, you know, automated molding lines, but they're going to incorporate 3D printed cores into that um, to get the best product possible and, I think, I think there's huge, huge opportunities out there and I'm excited, you know, to see because now that the design engineers at these OEMs are seeing the capability of what can be done with additive, now the sky's the limit. You know I mean? When they see that they can get better performance or better swirl or better, you know, horsepower or more, you know, I mean, when they see that they can get better performance, um, and you know, and reduce draft and backdraft. I mean, it's just going to really open up the opportunities for casting. So very exciting time.
0: And is it still pretty nascent in terms of other I mean, people doing similar things to to you guys as having the X one systems and their building tools, building patterns for for the general industry? Is it still pretty new overall?
1: I would say it's been it's being adopted more and more. I remember when I heard this five years ago, I mean, I went in to a meeting and talked about, you know, being able to get castings without tooling, and it, you would have swore at a third eye. I mean, like they, People could not believe what I was talking about. Yeah, you know, they did. But now just about everybody I talked to has either heard of it or understands the technology. Um, but yeah, I'd say, I'd say we're still, We've done a good job, you know, the American Foundry Society and America makes and I think we've done a good job of educating. I think we just need to take it to that next level of full, you know, it, it's not top of mind, you know, in every situation. I think so many people are so complacent in doing things the way that they've been doing it that sometimes they just forget to 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 reach out or lean into that next space. I think we just need to keep it top of mind, and I think um, I think it'll the adoption will continue to grow, but. I would say, you know, there's not, not many people getting into the, to the space um, other than like OEMs. You know, I'd say us and a few of our, our competitors have the, the, we have a pretty good handle on the service industry and the part, you know, the print service centers. I think now what you're going to start seeing is the adoption, more and more foundries are going to put them at the point of need. We'll still be needed as the overflow. Um, you know, I can tell you almost every customer that I've helped install a machine and consulted with, and had you know them purchase a machine and put it on their site, they become my biggest customer. Because once they see the opportunity, they fill theirs up crazy fast, and then they're coming and leaning on us for backup support. So people always ask, "Why would you go into consulting and help set up you know these these customer you know your customers with printers?" And I said, "That they become the best customer because when they understand the adoption." it really, it pushes us into more of like a partnership or, you know, and, and we just become their, their backup. So it works really, really well.
0: And how do your customers kind of define success when they're kind of working with kind of the technology? Is it the speed that they always kind of go back to or what's the the ultimate thing that they're they're looking to you to to deliver on?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, speed to market, you know, is the biggest, you know, and to have it, it's a, it's a huge competitive advantage when you can develop and continually develop new product. You know, like I said, some of these programs. I mean, you, they would spend well over a million dollars in tooling. So you can imagine, you know, they don't do that. Unless they have to, so now when you remove that constraint, that million-dollar tool-up constraint, and you say, oh well, we just want to tweak the water jacket, or we would just want to tweak the intake port, you know, for these for these engines. You know, now you make a design change, you print a new core, and you you're able to test it in real time. So. I feel that, you know, I don't, I I just see this really enabling them to, to, to make more consistent and and quality improvements, you know,
0: more often. And for those kind of listeners who are kind of maybe new to the industry or kind of dipping their toe in and, and trying to learn as much as they can, kind of what advice would you share as Kind of someone who's been in and around the additive manufacturing space, like what sorts of careers are out there? What kind of sorts of skill sets are, are kind of most in demand that they should maybe work on to to help with, you kind of know, building their skill set into the three D printing world?
1: Yeah, I would I would focus on you know the ability uh, to design. You know, what I mean, I feel like the machines are pretty robust and pretty easy to to operate. You know, so I don't feel like you need to spend a lot of time. You know, being real technical. I mean, it's really process. You know, I, I would say process engineers and really understanding. Because you know, I was just at a facility today; they had multiple machines, and you know, no two machine. You know, this is so new that when you go in somewhere, you can't. You're not just going to be handed a book and say, "Here, here's what you have to do." So you need to be able to have to understand how to develop process have, you know, good design fundamentals and understandings of, you know, software. Um, You know, even for myself, you know, I wish I had more time to dedicate to to running CAD programs and be, I I would like to be a better designer, you know, and have more time, you know, on the tube. And I think, you know, that's where we're going to see some of the biggest breakthroughs and some of the, you know, the most um, vital people to an organization, I feel are going to be the ones that can really understand how to develop and maintain a good solid process and, you know, really push the limits of design. I think those are, that, that's the two areas that I would hone in on myself. Um, obviously, you know, I mean, there's so many, you know, like my, myself, I'm not extremely technical, um, but I mean, just understanding opportunity and, you know, networking and, you know, and really having that, that troubleshooting mentality of, you know, how can we solve this problem using a new tool um, and, and really wrapping your head around, you know, opportunities. And it's fun. I mean, that, that's one the biggest thing um, you know, that I've learned is this this industry and networking and seeing, you know, different products and different machines, you know, that they get, have different capabilities. So, it's really fun to just engage and, and see all that and but those would be the two that I would really hone in on is design and process
0: for sure. Yeah. I think that's great advice. So Brandon, thank you so much for joining the show today. Um, yeah, absolutely. hopefully see you in person sometime soon, hopefully at Amug in a few weeks. And, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I'll be there. Awesome. And, uh, congrats on all the success that you guys have had and look forward to kind of seeing more over the coming years.
1: Sounds great. Thanks Mike for having me. Have a great weekend.
0: Thanks so much.